This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey guys, I am here with Peter Bartman, aka Bordy. How you doing, man? Hey, Bob. How are you doing? I'm great, fine. Good. Um, so I met you a few years ago, and uh, I I think a lot of people that have watched the podcast have probably heard the story before, but I'd like to to tell it again, obviously, just because I have you on here. But uh, a few years ago, I was out to dinner or probably beers with my cousin Scott, and uh, we were talking about how I was really. I thought it would be great potential to have a board pre-made so people wouldn't have to assemble those 7314 do-it-yourself boards. And, you know, what if we just slide it right over those pins? And, you know, we did the, you know, the stereotypical draw on a napkin thing. And um, it, mine was uh, rectangular and it would just go right over the middle. And um, I called a, an electrical engineer friend of mine and his, his questions, of course, were, you know, well, how do you know you're having the right voltage on the inside, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, he asked <laughs> all these questions and uh, we, we started to get ready uh, to do a prototype run. And then I saw your board pop up online. And the first thing I thought was, damn it, that's so much better than the one that I wanted to make. <laughs> so then I, I called up Scott and I said, hey, look at this. What do you think? And he goes, I don't know. I said, Maybe I'll just ask. Maybe I'll ask if I could buy it off him or something. And hopefully he's a nice guy. And Scott's like, yeah, I don't know. You know, we'll see. And sure is not, sure enough, uh, you've been incredibly generous to the entire retro gaming community and to me as well. Uh, and that's how uh, that's how we started working together and making those boards and getting those out. And uh, those were a help to a ton of people. So a uh, big, big thank you for all of that. Yeah, uh, nice to to hear the story. I never heard it before. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, intentionally, this was not uh, my design idea. It was from another guy from the circuit board mm -hmm. uh, called Cerberus, but he never popped it into the public. And so I decided, okay, why why not do my own one? And so I got started with it. Yeah, well, it's... um. It was uh, was and is such a great board because it allows for the 7314 or 7316, so if you need a low-pass filter or not for the retro gaming stuff, works on yeah. the Super Nintendo and the N64, and you don't have to worry about it being specific to each model because you handle the attenuation separately, uh, including some of the work that right. uh, that you did, uh, which I'll get to later on with uh, the, the cool little trick with the SRGB, or the SCPUN chip, but... Uh, I, I like to ask, like I always do, how did you get started in all this stuff? I mean, have you always been, do you do this for a living? Do you, you know, what's, like, kind of bring us to, to the beginning of this. So, uh, my first PCB design I made during my internship in Berlin, during my study, was in the seventh semester, so the end of my bachelor, and, yeah, then I came across to the... SNES project community um, where I got 
more into it, I decided, wow, oh, there's something called a super CIC. <laughs> and I decided, well, I never sold it, uh, that fine stuff. And I, yeah, decided to try it. I bought one pick. And I ruined my console. <laughs> I know that feeling. <laughs> yeah, and uh, then I bought a new one and tried to do this mod once again. But uh, I opened up the console and I wanted, oh, was the SCPU, where's the SPPUs? And I had a S, uh, one chip design <laughs> in front of me. And I was wondering, oh. How I can install the Super CIC there. Yeah, and this is how, how I got started to uh, look more in detail into the Super, NA, Super NES. And yeah, that's how it's going. <laughs> it's so going. You, said, um, you said your first board design was in college. Um, do you do board design for a living? Or do you? Um, or is that just like a hobby, electronic hobby for you? It, at the moment, it's just a hobby. Okay. So um, after my study, I worked on the University of Rostock as a scientific engineer, and was yeah was more in theoretic um, theoretic um, stuff I was interested in, mm-hmm. and then I went to the University of Applied Science in Wisma, and then to Lübeck, and yeah. The whole PCB design, assembly, coding, and so on was just a hobby. Mm-hmm. So um, some of the designs that you've come up with, uh, like a, a lot of the research that you've done, you were one of the first people to ever approach things like that for the Super Nintendo. And, uh, you know, I am a little bit biased because the Super Nintendo is my favorite console. So I, I do tend I to get too. a little bit more excited about the Super Nintendo mods than some of the rest. But... Uh, I think um, one of the first things that I saw that I haven't even tried yet because I'm sure I would break my console is uh, when you were using a resistor to try to lower, I guess, uh, could you just explain the resistor through the SCPUN mod that you had been testing for a while? Uh, this was not my idea, ideas, actually. It was by a guy who's called himself Rama. Mm-hmm. He is across the circuit board community, across the Schmaps forum. Mm-hmm. And he was testing a bit with the uh, pre-resistor to the uh, voltage supply of the analog part of the SC pan. And, well, I uh, redone this. I evaluate his method. I, yeah, measured everything by my own. And I came across with the same results that... Um, well, at the one hand, you can attenuate the output with a pre-resistor, and on the other hand, you can lower the ripples on um, large edges mm-hmm. who's coming out of the SC pond to the so analog. A lot of people refer to that. That's the ghosting, correct? Yeah, that's correct. It's, um, my intention is that the ghosting issue is more an issue in PAL consoles. So you said uh, for the NTSC ones, uh, it's not that much an issue just for, let's say, a minor part of the one-chip consoles, if I remember collect- correctly? Yeah, um, it's, it's, not, uh, it's not uniform. So if you, if you found 100 NTSC one-chips, yeah. um, it would be a little bit different on each one. Some barely noticeable and some very bad. 
Yeah, it's on par consoles. You can recognize this on each console. Oh, so wow. okay. uh, what you have seen it once, you see it every time. Yeah. So the uh, the only problem I had with that mod at first was that um, yeah. a lot of times guys that are very uh, very good with modding will yeah. post pictures and make things look easy. <laughs> and to, I'll be 100% honest, if I hadn't done a Super CIC mod and, and had to lift the CPU and chip or pins before, yeah. I would have thought, oh, okay, you know, I'll just be very careful and use Flux. And uh, But I, I broke a pin off. I was so gentle. I was so proud of how, of, of how good I was doing. And I'm lifting it very carefully, and I just moved it a hair up and poof, shot right off. So uh, yeah, that's uh, I never I never tested that, um, but I did. I was kind of wondering because uh, I don't own a scope. Uh, I, I gotta still have to get one, but I have access to some. Um, when you did that mod, were there different voltage? Uh, how do I word this properly? Were there other um, results of adding that resistor in that uh, that you saw? Because sometimes when you change one thing, you know, other things sometimes have a negative effect. So you, um, were, uh, that was the one thing that I I really wanted to test and see because uh, you had seen the ghosting disappear. But yeah. was there anything else? I mean, was it because um, you're essentially just changing the voltage that's going into the chip, right? Yeah, actually, it's uh, the current. So current, you limit sorry. the current a bit, and therefore also the voltage after the resistor, and. Yeah, I just measured the attenuation that it drops down with each ohm you add at the pre-resistor, the attenuation goes down, mm-hmm. and also the ripples went away. So, gotcha. That's all I uh, observed. I uh, that's on my list of things to test in the coming year, um, and I really hope to dig into that. Just because, uh, for anybody listening, if anybody is a beginner or intermediate that just wants a, a quick ghosting fix, um, upgrading the C11 <laughs> capacitor is like a quick and easy. And it, yeah. and the best thing is, let's say six months from now we find out that hey, maybe that's not the best solution. It is so easy to just take that out and put the original style one back in. So it's, I love things that are very easily reversible. Um, that's why I don't like cutting plastic yeah. because uh, that C11 mod is one of those ones where if you change your mind, go right back to the way it was. So, but uh, I definitely want to dig more into that because I was always I thought that was a really um, interesting way to approach the issue. So that was very yeah. cool. Yeah, but um, yeah, I also cannot recommend the uh, pre-resistor method anymore. So oh, yeah? the fix with C11 is yeah more easy to do, especially for beginners. Mm-hmm. Yes, and and the most difficult part with the pre-resistor was the uh, lack of space you have between the SC pan and the cartridge connector. Yes, so there was just a very small amount of space you have there, and. Therefore, it was very, very risky to break something up. Yeah, I'm trying to think of a good, a good metaphor for this. So, like, um, it's almost like working with the head of a pin. I guess is the best way to put it. So, whether it's a safety pin or a sewing pin, just you know, that's how thin some of the those pins are on the the CPU yeah. end. So, just to, for anybody that's trying to visualize this that hasn't seen one, imagine like a, a safety pin or a sewing needle, you know, the very end of it, and you're you're dealing with about that much space as well. So, it's yeah. uh, pretty complicated. Um, now yeah. you'd also done um, the the digital audio board 
for the SNES. Um, was yeah. that your idea, or was that something else that no, was part of the circuit board forums? To to make such a board was just my idea, uh, but I came across uh, uh, a tutorial how to do this mod during uh, having just the IC, mm-hmm. an adapter board, where you have to connect every pin separately to ground, to uh, power supply voltage, and the inputs and outputs, and put everything loosely into your Super Nintendo. I think I know and, I, I know the webpage you're talking about, actually. I think yeah. I had that one bookmarked. <laughs> and I was thinking about it, and I yeah, just thought it could be easier, definitely. Well, it definitely did make it easier. Have a static setup in your console, and then you can use a PCB. Uh, I am a huge fan of the digital audio mod. Um, I've heard a lot of people, you know, some people on forums are just grumpy, um, but a lot of people complained that they didn't want to do it because using shielded analog cables is almost as good. And in every scenario I found, it was just a little bit clearer. So um, in the best case scenario, you get zero hum. It's crystal clear. It's great. Worst case scenario, it's still no hum. So maybe your stereo setup isn't that great, but it's still no hum at all. The only downside, of course, is you can't use that with the MSU audio stuff because of the way the yes. uh, the super um, the SD to SNES works it. But yeah, I'm a huge fan of that. Yeah, me too. Now, this is the main, main disadvantage of this board that you cannot get the MSU one audio out of it. Mm-hmm. Now, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, didn't you open source a lot of these designs? Everything is open source. Uh, you know, that, that's few, amazing. It's just a few PCBs uh, I've made so far which are not open source. This is I, uh, I really love that mentality of thinking. Um, you know, it is my personal opinion that if somebody wants to make something and then be the sole seller of it, um, you know, don't open source it. But when you're done selling it, open source it. Uh, or if you have a design for yourself and you don't want to be the person in charge of, you know, manufacturing, shipping, support, sales, <laughs> like, you don't want to deal with that, make one for yourself and then put it up open source and, and share it yep. with the community. So. This is how I prefer it <laughs> too. Yeah. So um, I'm happy to share nearly everything, mm-hmm. but I'm also happy to see people out there who liking my designs and offer them for great value to uh, people who are not able to manufacture the the PCBs or something else by their own. Right, right. And I love to see the different... Um the different forks of the projects. Like I know Firebrand X was working on a version of your digital audio board that also allowed for just a coax. So if you have a a regular larger Super Nintendo, you could remove the RF adapter and slide this thing right in and you don't even have to cut plastic. So it's kind of cool to see your work evolve like that. (laughs) I hope that's really working. Yeah. (laughs) So... (laughs) Um, one thing I definitely wanted to talk about is uh, all the work you've done on N64 and your new board. Um, could you talk about that yeah. for a little bit? Yeah. Um, intentionally, I started to um, to RGB mod my N64 with the Viltem designs. And on a certain point, I came across of the uh, VI Blur 
from the auto HGMI and I thought, hey, that it can be applied to that board too because you interface the same signals. And yeah, I started to work on it. Um, I guess the first man who came out with um, with the working design was Ikari. Mm-hmm. And he has written it for the uh, old style Xilinx 9572 XL board or the open source design by Waltem. So the very first initial design. And I adapted it to the commercial design. And yeah, I measured everything and it looks good. And this is how I started. And at a certain point, I was thinking about of why not doing my own PCB design uh, because yeah, I have written the firmware and then I can go ahead with the PCB. So for anybody that hasn't followed the project, um, I, yeah. just to, to lay it out, um, Tim, uh, Tim Worthington released his N64 RGB kit a few years ago. And that, uh, yeah. that was groundbreaking in that it was the first time that you can get RGB out of any Nintendo 64, not just the it originals. Well, it's not the first time the commercial product. The first time was in 2007, you released, uh, yeah, do it your own mod. World. Right, right, right. You're correct. Just it's the first time secret. you could just yeah, buy it was one. a spider or of resistors next to it. <laughs> right. I remember that, actually. I remember yeah. that one. Yeah, this is the first nice, clean solution that, that's commercially yeah. available for that. Um, and then you came along and wrote uh, an extra firmware for it that allows for de-blur function. And I, yeah. I, it took a long time for me to be able to catch up. I was so busy, but I finally got a chance to try that ember of this year. And wow. Like, I mean, I, I know a lot of, this is debatable. A lot of people prefer the anti-aliasing look to it, but you know, I own a BVM because I like sharp pixels and playing Mario 64 and Mario Kart like that. Um, it looked yeah. amazing. But one of the things that uh, one of the features that you added uh, was the 15-bit, um... the 15-bit mode. Yes, could you yeah. talk about what that is? Um, actually, the uh, N64 outputs uh, for RGB um, seven bits for each channel, so making up 22, uh, 21 bits. And I read somewhere, but I don't remember correctly where. Um, that sometimes the N64 outputs some kind of a noise in the lower bit range um, to, on the one hand, smoothen the pixels a bit. And, yeah, sometimes it simply does not look good at all. If you look on Star Fox 64, you can see it very clearly in the aerospace. And if you say, okay, I want to cut off the MSBs, so the oh, the LSBs, the least significant bits, uh, you can get rid of that noise. And I decided to cut off the least two ones, so making just five bits for each channel. Okay. And setting the last two bits to zero. And in Star Fox 64, you can see it on the background very clearly that... Yeah, that the noise nearly went away, and personally, I love it in that game. This is 
does not work in every game, but in, especially in this game, it works quite well. So the uh, the board that I tried had it hooked up to the uh, the controllers. Dan actually Citrus three thousand PSI. Uh, he made me an N sixty four that both had the Ultra HDMI and Tim's board with. Uh, in it. I think it's one of only two out there now at the moment. But um, he had wired it up so it was just a controller combination. So there's no flicking switches or anything like that. So for me, I was able to go. I'd play a game, you know, five minutes into it, hit the button combination, turn deblur off, turn 15-bit on or off. Um, and the deblurring, you could see all the time the difference. Um, the 15-bit, I did see differences here and there. But luckily, as long as you just hook up the controller functions, it's something that could be toggled at any time. It's not like you yes. have to turn the console off or anything like that. Definitely. So for anybody that has that, um, well, first of all, for anybody that has Tim's board, all you need to do is flash it with an Altera programmer to get this new firmware on it. Um, yeah. If you've never done that before, you know, try probably find somebody who has because it's, uh, uh, it, you know, I think you have to solder a connector to it or something. But it's, um, you know, it, for people that do these things, it's very easy. It takes a few seconds. Yeah, um, very easy. And also the um, programmers are quite cheap, the Chinese clones. Yeah, I think I got mine for $5 or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, But now on the other side of things, not only writing that firmware, you've created your own board, uh, and you're on two two versions of that board now, correct? Yes, that's correct. Okay. So I, I started with the uh, first initial version, which was quite similar to Altim's boards, like the CPID, the resistor array, for the uh, digital to audio analog conversion mm -hmm. and the THS 7374 at the And the second version replaces the uh, resistor array with a proper digital to, to analog converter. So um, now I think I know what that is, but for uh, let's talk this out for a minute for people that, that aren't familiar, which maybe it's me. Um, using a resistor ladder is basically just taking a signal and uh, manipulate it through changing its resistance as it goes through, and replacing yeah. that with an IC is a way to digitally do that. So the signal comes in yeah. analog, and then it's digitally manipulated, and then outputted the way you want it, correct? That's correct. So. Yeah. Theoretically, you might be able to see a small improvement in video quality, but it's more just for efficiency, right? Yeah, you can talk. Let's say it to that way. Yeah. Okay. Because I've seen, um, like, on a, the the most recent test I did was with Mike Chi's Retro Tink, the um, the device that plugs onto a Raspberry Pi, so you can get uh, different analog outputs. And I have his uh, BNC version with a resistor ladder. And then I have this other version that has the um, the ICs on it, and it, it looks identical to me when I was doing the comparison <laughs> tests. So it's not, you know, uh, I guess it's another way of saying if people have the first revision of your board, they don't need to throw it out and go buy another no, one. Like definitely not. <laughs> okay, um, it does make it easier for people that are assembling the boards, though. So that's uh, that is a difference. Yes. In fact, the, uh, um, it's pretty cheap different. to buy PCBs. So I would say if you have. If you haven't ordered the components yet, but you have a couple of PCBs, it might actually be worth getting the newer revision just to make it cheaper and easier to, to assemble the whole thing. Yeah. Um, I actually 
I was hoping uh, all of this would fall into place, but with the holidays, it hasn't. But uh, the team at iFix Retro in Brooklyn has built two of your boards, uh, and one of them's going in my cousin Scott's N64, uh, <laughs> and the other one's going in um, another customer of theirs. So they're inviting me down there to go take a look at it um, as soon as they they complete the first installation. And I'm really interested to see the different options it has. Because the, the thing that I notice most about your board is it has the option to output component video and VGA as well, correct? Uh, yeah, that's correct. You mean, let's say, set board? Yes. Yep. So this is, uh, let's say, version number three. Okay. Which actually came out before version two. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so I guess could so you... the main difference here is that you have an FPGA mm -hmm. on it instead of in CPID, and you can also apply uh, line doubling functions, like known from the open source scan converter. Okay. So uh, I just want to make sure I, I get this correct then. At the moment, yeah. there's uh, three versions of the board. Version one, which is fine but outdated, so if you have it, don't worry about it, but um, there's also version 2, which is that just RGB output, nothing else? It's just RGB output, and also if you want to have it uh, sync on green. Correct, okay. Um, and then this new version 3, um, this one has RGB, it also has your yeah. D-Blur and 15-bit and all those other things that you've done. Yes, um, of course. But it also has the ability to output line doubled, so you can get 480p via component, RGBS, or RGBHV, which is uh, VGA. Yes. So if you're using correct. VGA, you would just have to wire a custom connector, I'm assuming, then. Yeah. Or you can use also the uh, multi-out, but then you have to build an adapter by your own. Gotcha. Yeah, so I would think that using RGBS from the multi-out would probably be... No, I don't know. I think it really depends on the situation, I guess. Then. Yeah, definitely. So you can use the Modi out on your own as much as you like it. So you can use RGB outputs for YPB, PR. You can use, for example, the um, pin number three, what, what was C-Sync for, let's say, H-Sync. And you can use another connector if you say, okay, I don't need S-Video. I can use pin number seven or eight for output vertical zoom. Yeah, oh, that's then, a great idea. I put the adapter on my own. Okay, and then you would just make a custom uh, custom cable from that, and yeah, that yeah. actually that sounds yeah. great. Completely customized. So one of the things that I've noticed is uh, most recently a lot of the tournaments around the New York area, um, and you know, the past few years there's been a lot more retro gaming tournaments. But in the past year, maybe year and a half, the quality of the displays is something that's starting to mean a lot to people. So I think number one is no lag. So you'll never see them playing, you know, like a Smash tournament or any of the N64 stuff on a, a crappy flat screen TV with a lot of lag. They would much rather just use a basic consumer grade TV. But number two is the quality. And I have seen a lot of people go above and beyond you know, bringing, bringing their own RGB monitors to these competitions and things like that. So I think a board like this would be um, really, really helpful because there's so many CRT VGA monitors out there, where, of course, zero lag because it's analog, that are in very good condition. You know, they're not great. They're a standard computer monitor. But 
using that board, your board with an RGB HV output in 480p to one of these is really going to be, you know, a crystal clear, high quality solution with no lag that's pretty cheap. Because a lot of these places that host these tournaments could very easily afford to go buy 20 of these monitors and stick them in a back room somewhere because you can get them for free or, you know, $5. I think I paid for mine a few weeks ago. So um, I think that's a really big help. And I think component video output is also because uh, if you find a consumer grade TV with component video inputs, it's also going to be a great signal. So this is a, I think it's a really handy board, and I hope a lot of the fighting tournaments will start to uh, to adapt and to use this with when they want the higher quality outputs. Yeah, I hope so too. I hope that uh, yeah, people out there enjoy it. <laughs> Do you know anybody that's regularly selling either of these boards? Any place that you could purchase them? Um. At the moment, I don't know anybody. I um, sent off one of my last prototypes to Matt from Video Game Perfections. Yep. Um, no, and Matt, he'll have those stocked uh, as soon as he can. So he uh, he likes to make sure that he keeps stock of products that, um, uh, you know, important things like this. So, yeah, yeah. that'll probably be available soon enough. We'll see it. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm not involved in these processes gotcha. at all. So. Yeah, as soon as I get uh, I get the opportunity to review one, I really want to. And I know the iFix Retro guys are on it. So um, I just think, uh, you know, a lot of people that are involved in any of these tournaments or Twitch streaming uh, really understand the importance for things like this. So I think that your first adopters of this product are going to be that that scene, the Twitch streaming and any of the, the fighting tournaments. So I think that's very cool. I'm very, um, very excited to be able to try these. Yeah, we will see. I I try to follow it. <laughs> so if people are looking for just RGB output, is there a quality difference between version 2 and version 3? No. Just RGB, it's quite identical. Um, but sometimes it depends on. So um, personally, if you just output both versions in uh, 240p, there's no difference at all. It might be a difference if you use version number three with outputting 480p. Okay, gotcha. Um, so what else have you been working on then? You uh, you certainly have a long list of cool things that you've put out. Is there anything else that you've been uh, you've been doing? Um, at the moment, not. So at the moment, I just try to find uh, time to further improve the firmware for version number three. Mm -hmm. So it's not finalized at all. And my idea is to implement uh, a menu, an on-screen menu. Oh, wow. It. Okay. So this is the ne next step. So would that be... Um, I'm trying to envision. So would you actually just uh, have the FPGA output video to the video pins um, and overlayer, or would you have to route that back through the N64 no. itself? No, that's just an overlayer. That's so very cool. An overlayer by the FPGA. And yeah, um, it, a bit relies on the game you play. So you will see like on the Ultra HDMI in the background, you still have the running game on it mm -hmm. while you're swiping through the options. And you see, for example, Mario moving forward, downward, depending on your controls. Gotcha. 
So, uh, just to go back to Super Nintendo for a minute, um, you do have that open source board with the THS7374 chip. So, um, and for anybody that doesn't know, it's the newer version of a video amplifier, um, and it has a, t- a toggleable low-pass filter. So, there, are, you know, generally speaking, um, you could get a better picture out of it. Maybe not so much for the board, but uh, uh, for the chip itself, but. Generally speaking, when you see those designs with that chip, um, you can get a little better quality out of them for the Super Nintendo. Um, is that that's also open source? Um, and I, I kind of like the way you approached that. But for people that are making their own, it is a, a little confusing at first because um, you gave people the ability to put all of the components that would normally be in the Super Nintendo cable right on that board. Um, and it's yes. always good practice to keep it as close to the source as possible. Um, but uh, so for people building it, it's the perfect do-it-yourself board. So if you bought, uh, you know, a, a RGB cable from one of the main sellers, um, either add a little jumper wire, or I think you can get zero-value resistors and caps to put in there if you want to populate to have it that way. Um, but that was uh, that's all very cool. Um, where did that all start from? Um, I vaguely remember some of the conversations you and I had about that over the years, and I had tested your first prototype, which was awesome. So um, uh, where did that really stem from, just the next natural progression in, in making the boards? Yeah, it was from the first initial design. Um, yeah, I was trying to think of, yeah, how to improve it. And mainly it comes from the, uh, I guess he is called Otron from the Assembler Games Forum. Yes, yeah. He first the SC-Pans outputs, and he said, hey, you can change resistor values, or you can add some resistors to ground on the outputs. And he came out with the uh, same results as we use today. So 1.2 kilo ohms for the, um, for the smaller, for the SNES Mini, and 750 ohms for the uh, big model one yeah and this is how i started to improve my design i i add these resistor values on the board i um also change from the 7314 to the 7374 i add another decoupling resistor and yeah i i add components you normally have inside your um cable gotcha so, and uh, from that point on, yeah, I was on version number two, and at the moment I'm on version number, let's say, four, 4.1 or 4.2. You know, what's funny is when you first came out with that board, I had switched my setup over, so all my cables were custom with a D-sub, a VGA-style end, and I used a VGA switch for everything. And uh, that only lasted a few months because I realized every time I needed to mod a console, I'd have to pull everything out and then, you know, retest it. But um, I remember when I first got that board, I left it fully populated and just had a pass-through cable that I made. And then when I went to redo my setup, I just popped off the output resistors and caps and then bridged it and just used standard cables. So it was kind of neat to have all those options on there and so easy to to get to. On version number four, you don't have the option anymore to uh, add the capacitors into it. Okay. So because, um, yeah, I, I've seen there are some cable makers, uh, commercial ones out there, who sell very good cables. Mm-hmm. 
And so I decided to, yeah, it's more irritating. It's not that nice to have everything on board. Just for most people, it's nice to buy a cable that works and then they want to have to think about anymore. How do I have to populate uh, my RGB bypass design? Yeah, you know, that's... um. That's something that's frustrating as a, a consumer, but I completely understand why Nintendo would, and Sega and all the companies would do that, because if you have something that you've made millions of, so, you know, it's, I think it was 40 million Super Nintendos or something, um, if they were to add the capacitors and resistors on board for the RGB lines for, you know, then you'd have to have even more changes for PAL and NTSC, and then, you know, there, there's a lot involved in that that might only add a dollar cost, but at the end of the life cycle, that means you've just lost $40 million for something that not many people might be taking advantage of. So I do understand why big companies did things, because it's kind of ingenious. Just put the resistors in the console end, the caps in the scart head, uh, you know, quality is yeah. the same, everything's good, but, in, you know, now that we've gone past that, and now we're all looking to get good quality out of those consoles, it is very frustrating as... Uh, old game fans to try to deal with that. So it's, uh, it's good there's options now. Yeah, definitely. But I think uh, the initial attention of Nintendo was not only to, yeah, save some money. It was just to uh, to avoid people to import RGB cables. For example, for the very first uh, Super Nintendo design, the PAL design had some diodes on the output. Mm -hmm. And if you connect an RGB cable from the NTSC region, you will see, yeah, that the, the uh, picture would disappear after a very short moment. Hmm. So I, wonder, quite, I wonder why they so were trying to do that. You have to remove the capacitors inside the cables to make it work with the PAL Super Nintendo. For the two chip or three chip design. Oh, okay, I got you now. Um, yeah, the caps in there. This, yeah, this, this changed a little bit with the one chip design, but for the uh, first initial design where you have dedicated CPU and PPUs, uh, you cannot use an NTSC cable. Right. Um. So did I? I feel like I forgot about something. We covered your Super Nintendo boards and uh, all the the awesome D blur work for the N sixty four stuff. Um, was there anything else that I forgot to mention that you wanted to talk about? Um, I made something for the Nintendo 2, so with a KTV. Oh, my, that's right, that's right. I did forget all about that. I he, love that. He had the, uh, the idea to uh, replace the whole silver box with the power supply unit, with the outputs in it. With a custom design, with a multi-out on it, with uh, the change connectors on it, with a new um, AC-DC conversion on it. Yeah, and uh, this is what we have done together. And he also asked me to write uh, an assembly code or a C code for a small microcontroller to control the uh, pallet switch. So uh, I, I'm... Glad you reminded me of that one. I think yeah. that is absolutely awesome. So you have to remove uh, the RF box from a Nintendo, and then you yeah. solder yours in its place, and this replaces the power circuit, 
And it also has um, all of the connections for uh, for video so that you could actually put a multi-out connector right there. Yeah, not only the multi-out. Um, you might know, may know that uh, the French design has its own RGB output mm-hmm. connector. So I also have a version out of out there with the uh, French design. Wow! So, on the so French design, do you, you didn't, don't um, have to cut anything off. So how would you even get the the connector for the French design? Is that a standard connector, or is that just you have to find the this cable? Is from... This is a custom made connector from the uh, from Nintendo. So do those cables even exist anymore anywhere, or are they just uh, rare and expensive? Um, I don't know how much they cost. I just uh, have seen pictures. I have seen some auctions on eBay. And, yeah, I just had the um, output connection and added to the board. That is very cool. So I got to. Uh, I would love to try that because I, uh, I just think it would be very cool to have a, a, a Nintendo with no cutting at all. So it uses yeah. the stock... French connector. Um, I would want to have NTSC guts just because obviously all my games are NTSC. But that's yeah. uh, that's actually on my to-do list. My buddy Chris from Belgium, actually, uh, he found me a, a French Nintendo. So uh, one of these days I'll get some extra money and have him send one to me because I think that's very cool. Um, how yeah. did you handle the power circuit, though? What kind of... Um, uh, because I know a few... T- we had actually discussed in the past about doing switching voltage regulators instead of the the regular ones and yeah, i had good luck with super nintendo but bad luck with nintendo it caused like a weird diagonal pattern across mm-hmm. the screen yeah i've made the same experience on the super nintendo too and um i don't have this experience on the nintendo at all maybe it's because the whole power circuit is made up yeah in the way as the uh, data sheet recommends it Okay. So that is what you're using, though, one of those, uh, so you don't need the heat sink, one of those switching power yeah. supplies? Gotcha. Okay. Well, when I get a chance to test mine, I'll definitely try it out and see. Mm-hmm. That was one, um, yeah, one problem we had to cope with uh, was, yeah, if you remove the RF box at all, you don't have a heat sink anymore. Right. So this box was the heat sink, actually. So you have to... Yeah, makes something different. That's a uh, that's actually a, a pretty ingenious design using the RF box itself as the heatsink. Yeah, that's um when a a long time ago before you know I 2006 I think I was out in Taiwan uh, working with uh, my engineer who's actually also from Germany and we were we were sitting there talking about something and we had come up with an idea to use the case itself as the heat sink for a CPU which nowadays everybody does that but this was back when processors put out a lot of heat like you had to you could not run a computer for more than a minute or two without it overheating nowadays yeah. you can get a brand new i7 and you know leave it idle at your desktop for 15 minutes and it still stays at 50c um, so we came up with this whole, you know, intricate design using heat pipes to evenly distribute the heat across the entire back, and it worked, and it was awesome. So, uh, you know, it, I, I was young at the time. I think I was 25 or 26, so I thought, you know, this is great. You know, no one's ever thought of this before. And then I started seeing all these other designs where everybody's thought of that before. <laughs> Nintendo thought about that in the 80s and used the RF box, but I love, I, I love using... Um, 
using what you have to get more out of it. So rather than spending more money and putting adding more weight for shipping and putting a big metal heat sink in there, they just used what was already part of the design. So good, yeah. good on their engineers for that. Yeah, definitely. So um, something else what I've made was um, for Sega consoles, for the Mega Drive. I've written um, my own switches mod because I was not heavy at all with the existing ones, which was from a guy called Zap mm -hmm. and DeForce. So I, I combined both designs to a single design to have the advantage of both into a single design. Yeah. Into so what a does that board do exactly? As it's not, not a board. It's just a microcontroller code. Okay. This changes um, in the Sega consoles. In the Mega Drive, you have uh, one pit controlling the output if you want to have 50 hertz or 60 hertz. And you have another pin for the language setup. Oh, and that's right. Idea was, that. Yeah, to, to have everything switchless by just pressing and holding the reset button. So, so how I, does somebody get to install something like that? They would have to buy the pre-existing board and then flash it with your firmware? Uh, there's no existing board, board out there, as far as I know. So it's just a microcontroller with, uh, where you use some IOs on mm -hmm. it. And optionally, you have also two outputs for a color-changing LED. Oh, cool. Well, that, that's actually... Yeah. Handy, because yeah. that way you could tell right away which one, uh, you know, what mode it's in. Yeah, that's correct. Hmm. So do you uh, have uh, an official website that you post this stuff on, or do you usually just post on GitHub and on the, the forums? Just on GitHub and on the forums. Okay, well, I'll definitely make sure to link to your GitHub down below for anybody that's interested in it. Um, <laughs> definitely. Are, are you on social media also, as well? Excuse me? Are you on social media as well? Are you on Twitter or something? or? No, not yeah, as much. Me. I, I don't do it personally. I only do it for the retro RGB stuff. So <laughs> I know I should uh, maybe open one Twitter account or one Facebook account, but I actually don't want it and at the moment. No. Yeah, I don't blame you. It, it does very much come in handy for uh, yeah. just for keeping in the loop of things and I like Twitter because everything's, you know, everything's small. You don't have to sift through long, boring posts of anything. You just kind of get the information quickly and, and move on. So, Yeah, that's correct. That's the main advantage of Twitter, for example. Um, if you are interested in Sega consoles 2 and the Mega Drive, there's also a board out there who's adding um, an in-game. Right. So if you have no... Sega CD plugged in, no uh, game plugged in. You can power on your console, and then a self-selected game will start. So, yeah. you know, that's something that I've um, I never really understood the fascination with, and that's preference. I could be wrong, but a lot of people keep asking me, you know, what about in-game reset? Can you know, do people make in-game reset boards? And I just. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I know I'm a fat guy, but just sitting up and hitting reset and sitting back down didn't seem like too much of an effort to me. <laughs> so um, it is it is handy when you have a device that already adds other features. 
And then, you know, adding the feature of in-game reset. So, like, your Nest board, um, I want it uh, for palette changing. I want it to have the multi-out right there. There's so okay. many cool features about it, and I believe you also included you in-game reset. You can also reset the console. Yeah. Right. So that's, uh, I-, I love that as an additional feature, but I would never go out of my way to just put in-game reset into anything. <laughs> so no offense or anything. It's just not my, uh, I just never, but I-, I know a ton of people always ask for that. So... Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah, uh, there's, isn't that the doesn't that same person also do the the Nomad boards and uh, the Genesis Bypass board or something? I don't know anything at all about it. Yeah, so I, I'm I've... interested in Sega. So also the uh, built-in game, it was just for a friend. It was not for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. Um... Well, I think we we covered all ground. I mean, but before you go, I just want to say again, you know, thank you so much for all the research that you've done and especially for sharing all of it with everybody. So, you know, first of all, sharing it just by talking about the things that you've learned, that alone is amazing. And the fact that you decided to open source, it's great too. Um, Like I said at the beginning, if you decided to to open Bordy's mod shop and and sell all the stuff yourself, by all means do it. But um, if you, I'm glad that you uh, you chose that since you're not into doing that, you just shared it with everybody. I think uh, because of your work alone, it sparked other people's work, and it was really the root of a, a lot of projects in the Super Nintendo community. So it's just, uh, you know, as a result of what you've done, people who buy a Super Nintendo now and want to add mods to it have better mods. So thank you. Thank you very much for all of that. You are welcome out there, <laughs> everybody. <laughs> so uh, any any last words, anything to say, or did we pretty much hit it all? Uh, that's pretty much hit it all, so nothing more to add. Okay, well, um, I will so, put a link. I'm happy to do my hobby. I'm glad that I can find the time for it, and I'm also glad to yeah have a job where I can... Yeah, get new ideas, can uh, reuse idea for ideas from my hobby. So it's, yeah, quite interacting at the moment. <laughs> awesome. Uh, well, I will leave a link to your GitHub down below for everybody. Um, yeah. And as always, I will talk about it in the weekly podcast, all of your new uh, inventions and other stuff you come up with. And uh, I guess we'll we'll do this again after, uh, after the next time, after the next thing you come out with. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so. Okay, take care, guys. I will see you. Thank you very much.